there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T for C. If you wonder what it would be like to write cookbooks and be a food editor at a national newspaper, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has written and edited four cookbooks, his latest due out in February 2020, and he's a two-time James Beard Foundation award-winning writer and editor. But before I introduce you to Joe Yonan, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is so easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box is right there on the homepage. And while you're there, I want to invite you to scroll down just a little bit where you'll find a series of boxes highlighting different careers so that hopefully, no matter what you're interested in, you'll be able to find the episodes to binge on. Now, my food lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Joe Yonan, the food and dining editor of the Washington Post, where he's responsible for supervising all food coverage in the features department. Joe is also the author of the upcoming book, Cool Beans, due out in February 2020. I love that title. He also writes the Washington Post's weeknight vegetarian column and for five years wrote the Cooking for One column, both of which have won him honors from the Association of Food Journalists. Joe was a food writer and travel section editor at the Boston Globe before he moved to Washington, D.C. in 2006 to edit the Post's food section. Joe, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Oh, my pleasure. And as we discussed in our espresso shots, you are no longer a coffee drinker and instead prefer, I guess, do you whisk up your matcha tea or do you have it in like a little uh, tea bag? I whisk it. Yep. Of course you do. A little morning exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I have to tell you, Joe, I have been so looking forward to this chat with you today. Not only because I happen to love cooking myself, (laughs) but I've also never had the pleasure of interviewing or even speaking privately with someone who is a professional food writer. Great. I hope all your dreams come true. I hope so too. (laughs) And before we get into how your dreams came true and how you got into this industry, I'd love to learn more about what you're doing right now as the food and dining editor of The Post. Yeah, well, right now we are working on our big fall dining guide, which is Tom Sietzema, our restaurant critic's annual look at the restaurants in D.C. And it's a beast. (laughs) It's a beast. It's great, but it's a beast. And this is the 20th 
dining guide, the 20th fall dining guide that Tom has done. Wow. So we're blowing it out a little bit with some extra features and we're spotlighting 75 restaurants in DC and we're rolling out a top 10 list that will start rolling out later this week, a countdown to the number one. And there's lots of other things. So I'm sort of in the thick of, of all of that right now. Your bio, as I just read, says that you supervise all of the food coverage in the features department. That's right. So I have to imagine that includes more than what Tom does. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Yes. So we have food coverage in in several places in the in the post print section and of course we're publishing things digitally every day so we write trending stories about food trends we have several cooking columnists that write about dishes that they're excited about we write about cookbooks we profile chefs really so many things and we started a digital project about a year ago called Voraciously, which I've been really excited about, which is a destination that's aimed at less experienced, more intimidated, younger cooks, people who maybe have been exposed to all sorts of foods on their travels or on their TVs, but they don't really have the skills you know, to bring them to their home kitchen. So we help them figure out how to do that. And that's been a that's been a huge success and a lot of fun to work on. I watched one of the videos on Voraciously and it was adorable. It was really funny and cute <laughs> and very just authentic. I think that's the best way that I would put it. It was Great. with Dave and one of your I Dave is a colleague at the Washington Post. And yeah. then and Mary Beth. And yeah. Mary Beth. And they were cooking chocolate mousse. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I really recommend it. I think they do a great job of breaking it down. Like you watch them with the different the different steps involved in making, in this case, the chocolate mousse, but they're also having fun and and it's not long. It doesn't take right. long to consume either. Right, right. Yeah, that was a really fun series that they worked on together where Mary Beth, who hosts food videos for us, realized that her colleague in the video department, Dave, really had no idea what he was doing in the kitchen, but wanted to learn. So she agreed to take him through a series of lessons to see, you know, what she could get across. Yeah, and I, I think it turned out really well. Very entertaining. They're a fun, they're a fun duo. They have great chemistry. Yes. And they actually inspired me to try out. I haven't done it yet, but I am definitely going to make chocolate mousse. I'm no longer intimidated Great. to try it, but I think I'm going to do it dairy-free. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Let's let's see how it works out. Now, take us into, if you would, Joe, a typical day on the job. You mentioned that you're working on this magnum opus, the 20th Fall Dining Guide right now. But in addition to that, how many other food-related features would be running in the post on any given day? Yeah. So we publish anywhere from two to five pieces a day. And those could be, you know, they're going online every day. And then they could be targeted in a for print in one of many places. They could be going in our Wednesday food section. They could be going in the Friday weekend section. 
They could be going in the Daily Style section. They could be going in the Sunday Magazine. That's where Tom's reviews appear in print. And then there are certainly plenty of things that we do that are that are really primarily for digital. We consider ourselves a digital first publication now. And there are plenty of things that are destined for a digital audience. But a typical day, really, it could be so many different things. So, you know, I certainly start by connecting with the reporters on the team and my fellow editors on the team about what everybody is working on that day. I look at my email and I am trying to keep track of email pitches and other ideas to make sure that we're working on things that we think will be interesting to people. So we get I get a ton of ideas that way. I might be approving um, some expense reports that people have submitted. And I'm certainly editing stories. So that can involve, you know, depending on the status of the story, if it's a freelance story, I could be really getting on a phone call with a freelancer or doing this in person if it's a staffer and talking about how we think the story should go, what the state of their research is and their interviews, what they feel like they need to do in order to get what they need for the story. And and then once the story is done, of course, you know, then I'm diving in and looking at the structure, the writing, the tone, and certainly the sentence by sentence clarity and grammar and spelling and all of that. And then after the story's done, you know, we spend a lot more time than we did several years ago working on the presentation of the story. And that includes really the headlines. The headlines are a much more important part of what we do than they than they used to be. You know, you you want to make sure that they're optimized for Google search, but you also want to make sure that they're appropriate for social sharing and that they're going to be attractive for people to want to read. But there's certainly an art to them. You don't want to overpromise in the headline and under under deliver in the story. So there's that. There's there could be meetings with my art director and or photo editor about photography. You know, and then at least two times a week and sometimes more when we have special projects, we're down in our food lab in our test kitchen where we're testing recipes, cooking, and we're preparing food for the photographer and food stylists to photograph and to make beautiful. So are you actually cooking then? I do. I cook. You know, I write, as you mentioned, I write a week a column every week called Weeknight Vegetarian. And for that, I am I'm spotlighting a recipe that I've worked on Mostly these days, I don't have a lot of time for original recipe development. And and so most of the time these days, I'm looking to cookbooks for recipes and sometimes adapting them if I feel like they need maybe a little simplifying or or certainly if I feel like they could be improved a little bit, I'll sometimes tweak them. And so I'm doing that and I'm, and I'm making the dish every week for the photographer and food stylist. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun. What are you yeah, making this great. week? This week, it is a porcini and charred soup. Is it the soup itself is charred or the porcinis are charred? Or some oh, I'm sorry, charred as in Swiss chard. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Ooh, yum. That sounds delicious. So what yeah. is the base of it then? What is the um, liquid? It's a vegetable broth. Nice. And it's a vegetable broth that's deepened with the dried porcini mushrooms. You know, you soak the, the dried mushrooms and the water takes on the flavor of the mushrooms. You strain 
out the mushroom so that you can get rid of any, you know, any grittiness. And then you add vegetable stock and there's, you know, there's, there's onions and garlic and, and aromatics like that in it too. So got it. I have high hopes. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> I've actually gotten into using a lot of mushroom broth rather than vegetable broth. Yeah, it's great. You can see it now at, in stores. Yeah, it's fantastic. So Joe, what advice do you have for our young listeners who may want to get into this industry? What didn't you know when you were their age that you wish you did? Oh, it's such a good question. I think I wish that I knew that the way to get better at writing is to just keep writing and to write as much as you can. So if you want to be a writer, I mean, it sounds so simplistic in a way, but if you want to be a writer, the most important thing that you can do is write. So finding outlets for that, you know, nowadays, you can do a lot of that writing on social media, you can certainly start your own blog, and you can get attention that way. And I think at a certain point, what's, what's also really important is to find someone who's willing to give you feedback about your writing and mentor you. Oh, yeah, for sure. I read somewhere as I was preparing for this interview, one person's opinion saying that it is no longer enough just to be a good writer. And that if you want to get into this industry, you really should supplement your writing with things like knowledge about a particular kind of food or enhancing your photography skills or your obviously cooking skills or even working in the food industry, whether on a farm or a grocery store or restaurant. Yeah, I think that that can absolutely help. I mean, I think the more exposure you get to, you know, different aspects of the food world, it's only going to enrich your ability to to write about them. I also have to say that we're journalists first, so I also want to make sure that people are honing those skills. And again, that's something that, you know, really, obviously, you can study it in school, which I think can be really helpful, but not a requirement. But I think experience is really the thing. I don't think that I would have been as effective at my job if I had come out of college and just decided, oh, I want to be a food writer and just, you know, started writing about food. I think that it was really helpful for me to spend years working for small publications where I had to cover all sorts of things. If you have to go to a small town city council meeting or sport of selectmen or or even a sewer water commission meeting, which I had to do, and turn hours of of that kind of meeting into something that will be interesting to readers who didn't maybe think that they were interested in <laughs> what that sewer water commission board was doing. It teaches you how to look for news. It teaches you how to write in a lively and concise way. It teaches you things that are going to be useful no matter what the subject matter is that you're going to be covering later. Joe, I look back on some of the stories and issues that I covered over the years. And I only wish that I could say that I turned them into something interesting. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I, I, I'm thinking back to when I first moved to Tokyo and had to cover the Japanese parliament, what they call the diet, and some of the shifts that were taking place in terms of the party in power. And I, honest to God, think I fell asleep halfway through the scripts that I wrote. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. You clearly are a much more talented writer than I. Well, well, I guess I, I guess I should say that sometimes it's just about the trying and developing a sense. I think if you, I think it's also important to know when something doesn't need to be written about. I think that's also really good. I guess I ultimately mean, I think it can be really helpful to be exposed to things that take you out of your comfort zone. And that kind of force you to to think about some of the more universal aspects of journalism and writing, rather than immediately going into a I'm reluctant to say narrow, but for lack of a better word, I'll say to a narrow subject matter, just because I think you, you know, it's sort of like learning how to drive standard before you drive automatic. I just think there are certain basic skills that that every journalist needs to needs to develop before they sort of start to specialize. A hundred percent. And I think that's such an important point to make that even if our young listeners know now that they want to get into food writing, they may need to look at other beats where they can actually land a job right? and, and to do so if they can at news organizations where they think they'll get the mentorship that they need to improve and that right. they have good editors who will help them improve because God knows we, you know, you don't come out of the gate writing like Hemingway. That's right. That's right. And I do worry sometimes that, you know, blogging and social media and other digital platforms that are kind of easy to, to access, they solved one of the main catch-22s that there used to exist when it came to finding your first job or getting your first assignments, which is that you, know, you can't it's hard to get assignments without clips. And how do you get clips without assignments, right? That whole problem. And this access, easy access to self-publishing solved that. But I do think that unless you are just unusually talented, you do at some point and preferably early before you get into some bad habits, you do really need to seek out good editing. Yes, Absolutely. So before we really flash back to your time as an undergrad, Joe, I just very quickly would love to hear from you how and why you got into writing the post-weeknight vegetarian column. Oh, yeah. Well, I I realized, I don't know, how, well, I guess it's been about seven years now, I realized that I was eating less meat. I was hosting a dinner party and I was trying to decide what to cook and I opened up my freezer and it was full of all this beautiful, humanely raised meat that I had been buying from the farmer's markets and not really cooking at home. I was waiting for people to come over before I cooked them. So I wasn't really making it for myself. And I and it was kind of a surprise to me when I realized it. I think at the beginning it was I was trying to eat lean and clean at home so I could eat down and dirty in restaurants. <laughs> and as soon as I sort of realized it, I also realized that I was feeling really good, you know, that I had more energy and I was just feeling really good. And so I started paying a little more attention to it and eating, even eating less meat when I went out to restaurants. Simultaneously, restaurants were getting easier to eat vegetarian in, you know, more creative chefs who were 
focusing more on vegetables. And so I just kept going down the path. And then after a couple of years of that, there just came a time when I realized that might as well just go ahead and call myself a vegetarian. And I also was simultaneously getting into a relationship, a good relationship that seemed like it might have legs. (laughs) And so I was less interested in my cooking for one column (laughs) and more interested in, in writing about vegetarian cooking. And we should say, I'm guessing that that person is the one who became your husband? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. (laughs) Speaking of chefs who are moving and have been moving in more of the plant-based direction, one of them is Jose Andreas. Mm -hmm. And you interviewed him recently. And I thought it was really interesting. You pulled out some kind of shocking statistics from a book that he had just written that 42% of Americans don't regularly eat vegetables. And the average person eats 186 pounds of vegetables a year, yet 279 pounds of meat. Right, right. Interesting, isn't it? It is. Why, Joe, do you think people in this country don't eat more vegetables? And I should say you have a new book coming out entitled (laughs) Cool Beans that's due out in February 2020. And hopefully our listeners can guess what it's about, but (laughs) you can weave that into your answer. Yeah. You know, I think that thankfully it's changing, but I think that in America, you know, we have had less of a long tradition than some other countries of of eating what was coming out of the ground. You know, certain parts of the country are different. You know, in the South, there is a long tradition of eating vegetables and growing vegetables and certainly pockets around the country. But I think that I think that for a lot of people, this is actually true around the world, meat is associated with abundance and with with wealth. And vegetables are associated with poverty. And I do think that's changing as people are realizing more and more the health benefits of at least cutting back on the amount of meat that they eat and the potential environmental benefits of it. But one of the things that I am trying to do with my new book is really inspire people to realize all the ways in which beans can be so helpful as they're trying to eat less meat and more plant-based meals. You know, I view beans as the most important source of protein on the planet, the cheapest by far, the most sustainable, the best for the soil. And, you know, what other source of protein is shelf stable like dried beans are? You know, no need for refrigeration, which I think also makes them potentially attractive, more attractive as we're trying to figure out how to feed in an era of climate change and all the crises involved there, and how we might be able to come closer to potentially feeding what is it going to be 10 billion people by 2050? So I think they're really important. And I also wanted to just and I love them and I love cooking them. And I think they're incredibly versatile and delicious. And I just wanted to really preach that gospel. Terrific. Well, we will make sure to include a link to Cool Beans so that our listeners can pre-order it because it doesn't come out until February 2020. That's right. Thank you. Absolutely. So Joe, let's quickly flashback to when you were an undergrad at the University of Texas at Austin, where you majored 
in journalism. Yep. And you also shared with me before we started this recording that you had an undeclared minor in American studies. Did you know what you were going to do with your degree when you graduated? Yeah, I wanted to work in a newspaper. You know, I had I had worked my whole college career at the Daily Texan, which is the daily student newspaper, the University of Texas, which is all student run and was incredible training. I'd worked there my whole career at UT, culminating in being managing editor for my last semester. And, you know, and I was editor of my high school newspaper, my junior and senior year. I was editor of my middle school newspaper. You know, I was one of those people who just kind of always knew what I wanted to do. So what was your first job and how did you get it? My first job after school, you know, I was I, I was actually working at my city newspaper in West Texas, San Angelo, Texas, where I grew up. I was working at my city newspaper while I was in high school for a couple of years, which was amazing training. And then after high school and after college, my first job was for a chain of weekly newspapers in the Boston suburbs in Waltham, Dedham, Needham, Massachusetts. And and I got it. Well, it's interesting. I really chose Boston because I was looking to move somewhere that had a, a lot of newspapers, a lot of smaller to medium newspapers that I thought could maybe feed up to a bigger, bigger metropolitan daily that was good. And and I really liked the idea of Boston. I had a friend who was living in Boston and I knew it was really different from Texas and I wanted something really different. And I just wanted a lot of choices. So I started interviewing around and and I got I got that job just from interviewing. Wonderful. Joe, I would love to know, and I'm sure our listeners would as well, how you made the pivot from covering news to food writing. How did you break into this industry? Yeah, well, you know, it started with a job that I didn't get. <laughs> I was I was working on the night copy desk at the Boston Globe and I was trying to get a job as a, an assignment editor, so a more substantive editor who dealt directly with reporters and it was I believe it was the New England editor job and I didn't get it. And honestly, you know, I had been really fortunate up to that point. It was the first time in my career that I didn't get something that I really wanted. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yet, I also found that I was relieved that I didn't get the job. And when I was relieved, it's it was a big wake up call for me. I, I was thinking, well, why am I I should be devastated about this. Why am I relieved about it? And I and I kind of started to realize that I was interested in in journalism that was less hard news focused. And and it sort of shook me up though a little bit because that hadn't been, you know, my path up until then. And so I I got one of those what color is your parachute books and I you know I was in the middle of a career crisis <laughs> and one of the exercises one of the first exercises was about trying to find something that made you happy and you know a career that made you happy and I remember the exercise you know called for you to 
you know, sit in a quiet place with a notepad and a pencil and to close your eyes and undergo this visualization exercise that it that was supposed to be pretty gradual. You know, you were supposed to first like try to picture yourself happy and then you're trying to picture yourself in an office and then you're trying to, you know, work toward this answer. And and for me, I closed my eyes and it was about 15 seconds and I opened my eyes and I said, oh, it's food. <laughs> you were <Uh-oh>. hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. Right. It's food. My favorite stories that I've written have been related to food. My favorite interviews have been with chefs, my or home cooks. I've always cooked. I, you know, shopped for the family when I was a kid at the grocery store. And and it was pretty clear to me. So I just started looking into it and decided to go to culinary school and keep my night job while I went to school during the day. And then just started trying to turn my journalism career toward food writing. There was a, a very fleeting moment when I thought maybe I'll go into cooking, you know, but I was 29 at the time. And I sort of thought, you know, do I really want to pay? I paid a lot of dues. I'm here at the Boston Globe. Do I really want to, you know, walk away from all of that and start to pay dues all over again? Or is there a way that I can, you know, just turn my journalism career toward food? And so that's what I did. I was just going to say where you could have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> That's right. I'm a pie guy, but I but I still appreciate the metaphor. Okay, good. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. And actually, my next question is one of those that I try to ask all time for coffee guests. And it may, in fact, be the story that you just shared. But if you could share a time in your life, Joe, when you really struggled. For some of us, you know, I've had career highs and lows, how you persevered, and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process. Yeah. I mean, that was that time period was certainly the the lowest time for me in my profession. You know, not only it started with not getting that job, but then really it was about okay, here I am on this night copy desk at the Globe. I was doing well. I was writing, you know, headlines that were winning their little awards. And my evaluations were always good. And, you know, I had good relationships with the writers and the editors. But it wasn't what I wanted to keep doing. You know, I had always been... I had come up through community newspapers where I I was writing and then I moved into editing and when I was editing, I was editing everything. You know, I was having a lot of I was I was laying out the pages, I was picking the photos, I was, you know, working for these little weekly publications where I was getting to do everything, which was amazing. And then at the Globe, I was stuck for too long on the night copy desk, which was very regimented. So, you know, you edited one story at a time. The staff was pretty healthy at the time, so there were lots of breaks when I didn't have anything to do. And I really wanted to get off of the night copy desk and get noticed. And I was having a hard time getting noticed. And the the New England editor job was an attempt to get noticed. And then I was sort of, you know, slapped back down and told just to go back to the copy desk. And and I think, you know, what really I did was not just about going to culinary school, but it was followed by really years after that, of trying to convince people that I 
had what it took to be a food writer and editor and that they needed to give me that shot. And I didn't let up for years. I devoted all my spare time to writing food stories. I basically, over the next couple of years, I tried to make myself indispensable at the paper doing other things. I did get under Marty Barron, who's so great. He did, when he came to the Globe, he did give me a shot and he made me travel editor, which was amazing. And I got to bring a lot of food into travel. And then ultimately, I spent a couple of years trying to make myself indispensable at the post and then threatening to leave unless they gave me what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but sometimes it comes down to that. Yes, yes, sometimes it really does. Just saying, well, in my case, I got outside offers and use them as leverage to to get a food writing gig at the Post, I mean, at the Globe. And, and it worked. And the first time they put me in food for six months, and then that was up and they tried to send me back to travel. And so I just sort of went through it again and <laughs> got another offer and said, look, I, I'm going to go unless you put me in there full time. And then they did. So it sounds to me like maybe the lesson is that you have to bust your butt. You have to go above and beyond. You can't take no for an answer. You have to look for other opportunities and be prepared to leave if you don't get what you want. That's absolutely right. Yep, that's it. So final time for coffee question, Joe. If you could go back to UT and do it all over again. But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah. Oh, talking to that kid, right? Exactly. (laughs) Talking to that kid. You know, I think I would say, just follow your gut. You know, follow your gut. If it feels right, if you're enjoying it, do it. You're gonna know when it feels wrong and continue following those impulses. I mean, ultimately, I don't think I would actually do anything differently. But I think I would, I would encourage that kid to maybe not be as anxious as he was that whole time. <laughs> you know, that everything's going to be cool. Everything's going to work out. Well, I think that's a very apt way to end with that expression, everything's going to be cool, because Joe's new book is entitled (laughs) Cool Beans. It's due out in February 2020. We'll have a link in show notes that you can check out so you can pre-order it. And Joe, I want to say I'm sure he already knows this, but your husband is a very very lucky man (laughs) to have someone who is as talented and obviously as lovely as you in his life and who loves to cook. Oh my gosh. I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. This has been so interesting and has really met, if not exceeded, my expectations. Great, great. I've had so much fun talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. 
I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.